The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod coming to you live from our studio. And I'm excited to be here. Those of you who watch the show regularly, you know, or you must have seen that we've, we've been having a little bit of a rough one the last couple of weeks. I um, had COVID and I'm happy to say that I'm doing so much better. I don't sound a bunch better, but I am so much better. And um, I'm trying to take it relatively easy as I come back so that I, I don't make it worse. So we came back and we did a live show on Monday. And then on Monday night, we pre-recorded an interview with Temple Grandin that we were going to keep in our archives for a while. And our intention was to do a live show on yesterday with Dr. Doreen Grampiche. But Dr. Grampiche, uh, she has a home in Florida that was decimated by Hurricane Ian. And so she had to go to Florida to assess and, and be there to start the repair and the rebuild. And we were, we had fingers crossed that there would be any form of internet and there is none. Um, and we understand and are aware of the fact that people are trying to get water and electricity to keep food preserved and things like that. So internet is not the most important thing uh, there right now. And so we decided to play our interview with Temple Grandin while it was fresh off the press yesterday. So, but we're live today. I know Parker, you especially like to know when we're live. We are live today. Today is, it's the 12th of October. In my mind, it's still September 29th and we're still in September and October is a thing to come. So it's a little bit weird for me to think that, you know, I've, I've missed two weeks here with you guys. But, <clears throat> and still have a little bit of a thing, but I'm 100% not contagious and that's wonderful. Partially because I'm, I have to get on a plane day after tomorrow. I'm going to Seattle to speak at the WABA conference, but I will be in Seattle on Saturday um, at the Washington ABA conference. And I'm really excited about that. So trying to, trying to stay healthy. To that end, I want you guys to know that we are live today and we've got an amazing guest who's going to be with us. We had talked about having uh, Let's Talk All the Things tomorrow with Rachel Bird. We've postponed that until next Wednesday. Normally that would play on a Thursday, but in interest of everyone's health and me being able to speak on Saturday, we're postponing that until next Wednesday. Um, so next week is going to be this amazing week. Um, that we've got all kinds of things that are happening. We'll have a, a let's talk all the things next week. And Rachel has got some amazing recipes for us and fun things to do during, as she calls it, Halloween. And we also have Moira Giamatteo who's going to be joining us for let's talk movies on Thursday. And boy, am I excited to talk about some of those things because I did see some television while, and some movies while I was in quarantine. And uh, I have some things to talk about. Some of them have to do with autism and some of them peripherally do. Anyway, so excited to be here with you guys. You guys are quiet today. I feel like you, you feel like we're never live anymore. So I don't have people writing in the chat, but we're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And you can be writing in on the chat right now. I'd love to see that somebody is there and can see this because um, you guys are awful quiet. I want to make sure that my chat is working. Um, but as I said, we've got an amazing guest who's coming up today and, um, I, I'm so thrilled because I got to meet him and his mom when I was speaking in Boston before the pandemic. And it's always so fun when you go someplace and you meet people and, and they become people that are just touch points in your life. And so, uh, John Miller and his mother have been touch points in our life. We featured his book, Handum in our toy guide. I don't think last year, it might've been the year before, um, but he's got lots of exciting things to talk with us uh, about today. So we're really excited to welcome him back to the show to talk about those things. Before we do any of that, I have some disclaimers to give you guys, and then we're going to do jargon of the day because we haven't done jargon of the day in forever. Um, but just want to remind all of you that while I speak uh, and I have opinions about everything. I'm not an expert in autism. And I do like to remind you guys about that. 
I am a proud pony. And I hope that some of, I know some of you identify as ponies also, that we are parents or partners of uh, neurodiverse individuals. And so, oh, Parker's here. Yay, Parker. I know, I know you miss it when we're not live, but uh, I'm going to get to your question in just a second here, Parker. Um, but I'm a proud pony. So I am a parent of a neurodiverse individual and I'm so proud to have that moniker. And all I want is to be a good ally. I want to be somebody who's helping to promote people whose uh, way of looking at things I think is better. I'm just going to say that that's the truth. Now, for those of you who are watching and your child, whether they're a child in terms of years, like they could be three years old or they could be 33, right? They're still your adult children, right? And you might be thinking, I don't think my child brain works in a way that I, that I would say that. And I would, and I would lovingly say to you, it's because we still haven't found the way to communicate. Because when we find the way to communicate, even people who are non-vocal, we see the beauty that comes out when we find the way. And it is part of our journey to find the way to connect. It's not that there's nothing to connect to. It's that the journey to get, get to the connection is different than what we anticipated. And that can feel hard. It can feel overwhelming. It certainly felt that way for me when my child was diagnosed with autism at three and had lost all of his language. And I didn't know how to get him to tell me if he was in pain or upset or happy or liked something. You know, that felt, it very much felt like grief because I didn't know what to do. And I think that that's an important distinction to make because so often when I'm talking to individuals who are on the spectrum, they're like, why does everybody talk about the grief around us? It's not grief around you. Can I be really clear? We love our children. I don't know any group of people who loves their children more than parents of, of people on the spectrum. We love you. And, and we wouldn't change you for anything. But we want to be able to communicate with you. We want to know what you want. We want to know what you need. That's really the basis of the grief, is if you see someone that you would give anything for, and you can't even find the way in to communicate, that is the grief. It's not grief about you. It's grief about not being able to communicate with you. So if we can all get on the page where we can start to make the path and it's different for everybody. There's no one size fits all, but for everybody to have functional communication, for everybody to be able to adequately have their needs met. I, I think that's the rallying point for all of us. And that's really what I'm about here is providing that information and inspiration for watching to get closer to that. But I'm not an expert. I'm just really zealous. And I have a reason to be zealous. So Traven is showing you some of the different ways that you can connect right now. We're, as I said, we're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and about a dozen other sites. And we will podcast this show. It'll be available later on. Don't forget, you can access our full library, 12 years of videos that we've been doing here on YouTube. But if you want to take us with you, you're going walking or you're going in the car, you can download the audio podcast version of the show, any place you get your podcast, and it is a free download. Dark Angel, thank you so much for being here. So Parker asks, what is the best reward system for VBS? A lot of three-year-olds were little terrors. Bless <laughs> your heart, Parker. I will try to convince the director, no artificial colors and flavors, but any other advice? Well, you know, food is a primary reinforcer. And so we're not going to deny that, right? Food is, a, is a, a big primary reinforcer. And I know it's that time of year when everybody goes, oh, well, let's give them candy. <clears throat> and candy has sugar and candy has sometimes artificial flavors. And it's a, it's a great uh, primary reinforcer. But if you're going to give it, here's, here's horribleness, is that you have to know that about 20 minutes afterwards, you're going to be less productive. So what a lot of teachers do is give the candy at the end of the day, which sinks the battleship for the parents. We have parents who write in all the time and say, I don't know how my child keeps it together completely the whole day at school, but then they fall apart on the bus or they fall apart when they get home. And part of that is that the system is so regulated at school, but part of it sometimes is that somebody's jacking them up on candy um, as they go to leave home. So, um, you know, it's hard, Parker, because all kids are different. 
And um, what what is rewarding for one may not be rewarding for another. But I think a proactive um, tactic for this is uh, a little bit better. When you're three, you have, and this is the technical term that I use, yayas. You got to get your yayas out. They have this pent up energy um, where it's very hard for them to sit still and focus. And this is all kids that are three, right? It's really not on their docket to sit still and pay attention. They're at three, they're beginning to learn how to do that for, you know, a minute or two at a time. People always have this expectation that, oh, we're going to sit down and we're going to read for an hour with three-year-olds. And that is really ambitious and probably shooting yourself in the foot, right? So um, I think that movement uh, as a precursor, as an antecedent um, thing, that uh, whenever I'm working with little kids, whether they're on the spectrum or not, I'm always like, how many seconds, not even minutes, before there is an opportunity for them to interact with movement. Um, I don't think I have it on this bookshelf, but one of my favorite kids' books is, um, no, it must be on the other bookshelf. Um, One of my favorite kids' books is uh, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. But when reading We're Going on a Bear Hunt, there are sections of it where it says, we're going to go on a bear hunt and uh, we're not afraid and all this other stuff. And And then they meet a problem. And they go, oh, but now we've come to a field. What are we going to do? Um, we can't go around it. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We have to go through it, right? And then, then you turn the page and it shows the family going through the field and it says swishy, swishy, swishy. So what I always do is have a movement that goes with the sound. Um, so if the kid is sitting with me next to me or on my lap, you know, we say the swishy, swishy, swishy together and we go, whoo, 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 and we do the... And each time there's something, we make the sound and the movement because it keeps them engaged, right? The other thing that I do when I'm reading to them is that it's got to be interactive. And when I say seconds, I mean seconds. So, um, uh, you know, for that book and most books, I find something to ask them and say, where's the baby? Point to where's the baby? Where's the dog? Point to the dog. And there's a dog and a baby on every page right? Though those us born books, they have a little duck built in that there's a hidden duck somewhere on the page. And, and in the beginning, you can take kids fingers and you say, where's, where's the doggy? And you say, there's the doggy. Yay. Right. Um, so that it keeps that interaction going. And, but if there's, if there's a movement and it sounds silly, because this is not that big of a movement, but it's something and kids have to get their yayas out. So, uh, you know, we have yaya breaks and I love watching therapists with the little ones. They do something called noodle arms where they take the kids arms and they go Woo, like this, holding their hands, not hard. It's just a very gentle thing. And they go, let's do noodle arms. And so they'll do something and they'll go, okay, let's do this now. And then they'll, they'll go noodle arm break. Woo, and then they do something for a couple of seconds. Okay. Noodle arm break. Um, because it keeps them engaged and it keeps them regulated. So that's, I, I don't know. I mean, you, for some kids that is a reward system, but I think of it more as an antecedent strategy, Parker, before they get to the point where they break down and turn into little terrors. Because that, when they turn into little terrors, the truth is, is they're telling you something. Um, and, and I would want to look at and, and, and say, what do they do when they're little terrors? Is it that they're breaking out in conversation with each other? Are they running around? Um, because all of it is clues to the fact that they're getting bored. And kids get bored. Um, I, I know a lot of teachers who have different strategies. There's a game that's called Elephant Seals and Wagons. And you can play this with very little kids. Um, or you can you can play it up through people who are college students. It just gets more and more difficult, right? So Elephant Seals and Wagons, with little kids, we start with that if I go like this, that means that I want you to play the piano because I'm listening. And if I'm playing the piano, then you need to put up your ears and you need to be listening. And you can teach that to three-year-olds. And so if they start to like mess, you know, you're, you've got them in a circle and they're, they're like starting to degrade and, and the whole thing is starting to get messy. Uh, you can have a simple gesture where you go, and then all the kids go like this, right? So that they're all hearing and you praise them for, and then you change and you go like this 
so that it keeps them engaged, right? Later on, when they're older, you, you, you're doing the playing the piano or you're listening and you point to somebody and you say elephant and, and the person in the middle has to make the snout and the people on the side have to make the big ears. And there's the same thing with seals um, and wagons that there's a, a gesture that needs to be made in the middle and the side. Uh, we play zip, zap, zop with kids a little bit older than three, but you can do the playing the piano and the ears with three. And it's a way to snap them back into, oh, right, I, something's going on. I'm participating. I'm a part of this. And because it's got a physicality for it, it helps to regulate them, if that makes sense. And you can do that with um, kids on the spectrum. It means that you're going to give them more opportunity and more reinforcement to do it, but it can be good with all kids. Um, Sunil says, hi, uh, good evening from India. Uh, and they are a special educator. I have a student who has temper, temper tantrum throughout three months till known he is three now, how to deal with that. Well, Sunil, if you watch the show, one of the things that we talked about is that all behavior is communication. So I would want to know, I would want to look at this, that this temper tantrum isn't happening just in space, that all behavior has that three-term contingency that something happens, right? There's the antecedent, there's something happens, then we have the behavior, which is the tantrum, and then something happens as a result of the tantrum. And we call that the consequence. That's the ABC of the behavior, the antecedent, the behavior, and the consequence. So I would want to have you start taking data on it and, and starting to notice. I always, you know, encourage people. This is so easy to do. They have apps for this now, too. But, you know, you can low-tech this. And you just take a piece of paper and you fold it into three columns, like so. And across the top, you write A, B, C, and we can all remember A, B, C, right? What's hard to remember is that A is antecedent, which is what's happened before. B is the behavior, C is the consequence. And usually we don't notice the antecedent. That's the truth. Um, but if you start doing this, you'll start noticing the antecedent. But so I would start writing down exactly what the behavior is. What does it look like? Uh, what time did it happen? Um, and, and while it's happening, you can't be writing this down, right? But what you can be doing while it's happening is sort of being a court reporter in your head and remembering and going, okay, I need to remember that first he spit and then he threw things. And I'll tell you what that does. That keeps you centered. You have a job to do rather than freaking out and going, when is this going to end? Because that's the human emotion that we feel when somebody starts have a tantrum because it feels like a total loss of control for us. But so in your head, you become like a court reporter. If I was having to report this to a court, right. So first he spit, then he threw things and I would be keeping an eye on the time. And later, first thing you're going to do while it's fresh in your mind, you're going to write down the behavior, when it happened, what it looked like, what it was, right. Then you try to be a detective and go back and think what happened right before? Did we eat lunch? Did we come back in from the playground? Did I put a demand on him? Did somebody speak to him? Like what happened right before? And we're, we're doing this all without judgment. We're just, just the facts, ma'am, right? And sometimes you're not sure, but you write down anything that you can think of for the antecedent. And then you're going to write down what was the consequence. And then you got to be really clear with yourself and honest and not judgmental and think, okay, well, the way we got out of it was I gave him a piece of paper. Um, and don't judge yourself if you did that. We've all done that, right? Or, you know, the kids uh, the kids hugged him and that's how we got out of it. Or eventually he fell asleep. You know, whatever the, whatever the consequence of the behavior was, you want to write down what happened after the behavior, right? And then you, once you've got it all written, it may take up the whole page. It may take up two pages, right? But then you draw a thick line and then you add the next one. And you do that for a couple of days. And I guarantee you, you're going to start to see a pattern. You might see that, oh my gosh, that's so weird. It always happens at 1.12 in the afternoon. Well, now you get to be a detective and go, well, why? Why is it happening at 1.12? We are still going to do the jargon. Raven, I'm sorry. This is important. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, why... Why is it happening at 1.12? Is it because he's eating Cheetos for lunch and he's having a reaction to the food dye? Or is it because the sprinkler turns on at 1.11 and there's a high-pitched noise that he can hear that I can't hear, right? But you, something will show you a pattern. 
of, oh, he only does it when we go to do math. How fascinating is that? Or he only does it when we have just come back in from being outside because maybe he needs a little bit more of a transition before we come back inside. But what you're trying to see is what is he trying to communicate? And once we figure out what he's trying to communicate, then we can get in there and change the variables and do it effectively. Um, so that's super important. Um, but I would love it if you would take data on that, the ABC data on that, and then send it to us. And I'll have Dr. Doreen look at it before the next show that she's on so that she can go, oh, you know, here's what this looks like. Does that make sense? But while the tantrum is happening, you want to be as neutral as possible. When somebody's throwing a tantrum, you want to make sure that they can't, your first bit of business is to make sure that they can't hurt themselves or anybody else. And you stay vigilant to that. It, and sometimes my kid was a swiper, man. He would go over and he would just swipe everything off a table. And if you had moved everything off the table so he couldn't swipe, then he'd try to turn the table over. So sometimes it meant that he would be having the tantrum and I would have to put my hand on the table so that he couldn't turn it over. And I wouldn't say to him, I'm holding my hand here so that I can outsmart you and you can't turn the table over, right? I wouldn't even make eye contact, but I wouldn't ignore him. I would ignore the behavior, right? So um, we want to keep them safe during the tantrum and we want to, they can't, it's exhausting to throw a tantrum. They, they will get to the point where they will either exhaust themselves and lay down um, or, or they give up. So they don't go on forever and ever and ever. Um, I don't, I don't want to put a time limit on it because I'm sure that there's a kid who can throw a two hour tantrum. But they get exhaust. It's exhausting for everybody. Um, <clears throat> I see Dark Angel has written about Clostidia is clear from the gut, but it messed up his neurotransmitters. He's moody and I can't, uh, I can't moody people. How should I deal with this? It gets me angry. Yeah, it's so hard uh, when your kid is moody. Um, I don't know when you say it messed up his neurotransmitters, that concerns me and I don't know enough about that. I'm going to be real, real honest. Um, but I would check, is he getting all the things that he needs to, and is his gut hurting? Like, you know, when you're moody, you're moody for a reason, right? Because something may not be right. So I would, I would double check on this as to your anger for it. Uh, again, let's talk about what is the function of the moody and the function of the moody may really be that he doesn't feel well and that's why he's being moody, but it may also be that he's realizing that when he's moody, he gets something, attention. And, and I know that you being angry doesn't feel like it's good attention, but that might be good theater. I don't know. Um, so you could do the, the three column on it as well, but for your, for your anger about it. I would say to you, you got to come up with a strategy for yourself that when he's moody, that either you hum a song to yourself or you hum it out loud, or you think of something that makes you really happy, that you have a boundary that his mood does not become your mood. You know, it's hard. I'm not always successful at it. I'm going to be really honest, but sometimes I can be. Um, yeah, I, I, I see that you say it makes me angry because I don't want to like see him unhappy. Um, but, um, and you are supplementing him to help him. Okay. Um, again, I don't know enough about uh, what has gone on with the clostridia and the neurotransmitters, but I hope you've got a good expert who's helping you. And if you don't, check in with somebody at TACA, okay, um, to see if they somebody else has been through this. I would go on one of their message boards and say, has anybody else been through this with Clostridia from Taka? Uh, but don't, oh, it's so hard when they're, when they're nasty and, and just moody, moody, moody. Um, but people do learn that if I'm moody and I don't get the attention that I want from it, that um, it's not, you know, eventually they want something, you know? Um, but if he's not feeling well, that's a whole other, whole other kettle of fish. And I also see that Nora said, I'm a Spanish interpreter with SPED. Your hopes, my, your job, your show helps my job so much. District hardly gives us any training. Oh, Nora, I'm sending you a hug. I hope Nora that you have checked out the autism partnership free RBT training 
because that will be so much better training than I could ever hope to present here. And it's from experts and it's free. So I hope that you will look that up. Uh, you can Google autism partnership free RBT training and it'll come up. Okay. <clears throat> um, somebody just put something else up. Thank you. All right. <laughs> and I occasionally still have a cough. I apologize, you guys. All right. We got to quickly do uh, jargon because we've got our guest here. And he's ready to go and he's fabulous. So really quickly, our jargon of the day, this is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani, nani, are those experts talking about? What does this have to do with us? Why should we even care? Okay. For some of you, this is going to be like, what? I don't know anything about this. An ITP. Does your child have an ITP? Does your teen have an ITP is a better question, right? But even if you have a three-year-old and you're like, nope, nope, this doesn't have anything to do with me, I'm going to tell you that it does. Because when you walk into a mall and if you're trying to figure out where JCPenney is, right, what do you do? You walk up to a map on one of the things or you Google the map on your phone and you get a picture of you are here. And then you chart the course for where that you want to go, right? And we all need, we're all going towards the place you're going to get there. Time flies and you're going to get there to the ITP. So let's take a look first at our actual definition of ITP. Uh, I don't think there'll be anything to make, make, make fun of, um, but we're going to break it down for you in just a second. So the ITP stands for the Individual Transition Plan. You probably have heard of people talk about the cliff, that the cliff comes and your child runs out of services and you are in this place where you're precariously balanced on an edge and you got no place to go but to throw yourself off the cliff and you don't know what you're going to land, right? It's a very scary time. Look, that's a very scary time for any parent of any kid, right? If your kid is graduating from high school, graduating from college, going and looking for a job, and it's always been scary. And the pandemic didn't make it easier for anybody. But when you have a kiddo who has special needs and has unique challenges, why don't you multiply that times 700 million, right? The stress that you feel, the stress about are they going to find their way? Are they going to be okay? It's all a lot. That's what the ITP is there for. Here in the United States, it is a legal thing that your child has to have an ITP in place as part of their IEP by the time they're 16. Let's go ahead and move to the, our, um, our working definition because I'm already jumping into some of this. So, it has to be in place by the time they're 16. In some states, it says that it has to be got, begun being worked on by the age of 14. But in all states, it's supposed to be in place by 16. Now, here's the thing. Most schools have not had any training in this or minimal. And they don't really know what the rules are. And unless parents push for this, often this does not happen. And it doesn't happen in a meaningful way. So it's very important to me that I share this information for you because a lot of times when people go in for the, I, for the IEP after the 16th birthday, then they're like, oh, well, now we can start on this. That is not how it's supposed to be. It is supposed to be in place on the day that they turn 16. And I know when I told my son's schools this, they were like, huh, no. And then they looked it up and found that I was right. Um, and there are three different areas that the ITP has to address. Check this out because it, if you had a student who had this in place by the time they got to the point where they were done with their education services, you would be like, this is incredible, right? So the ITP needs to address where the individual is going to live when they are no longer a part of the school system. Are they going to live at home? And this is important that this comes up at the age between 14 and 16. It doesn't mean that it can't change, but really you need to start thinking about what the plan is so that by the time they're 16, you're moving towards it. There is a plan in place and we're not still talking about it, right? You can always change a plan. You can always change a goal, but where is the child going to live? And I think for most parents, the first knee-jerk reaction is, well, they're going to live at home, and they're going to live at home forever. And I'm just here to say that I am learning through meeting many wonderful, caring, beautiful parents 
who want what's best for their child and find that that often, not just sometimes, often is not what's best for the child. What's best for the child is that they have a plan for them to live someplace not in with their parent. I know, everybody take a breath. What did she just say? Why is she pushing this agenda? I'm not, I'm not pushing this agenda, but I do want you to think about something. As, and this is gonna be hard and then we're gonna talk about fun stuff, but we're not gonna live forever. And where is your child gonna live when they're not with you? Because we're not taking them with us. That's not kind and loving, right? When we move off from, when we shuffle off this mortal coil, we're not taking our kids with us. We want them to live happy, full, independent lives when we're not there. And if we wait for them to find that placement after we're gone, we really have put terrible pressure on them, terrible pressure. And I see parents that are finding the ideal living situation with their kiddos when they're 18, 20, 24, 25, so that they have years to be there and make sure that it's the right placement and soothe the bumps and help them to overcome the challenges. So, and, and what's crazy is a lot of them find that their kids are happier, that they enjoy the independence, that they enjoy being like their peers, being out in the world and, 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 you know, I don't live at home anymore. I'm an adult that there is some pride that comes with that and that often they ride that. So just putting it out there, you don't have to decide that today, but, but there has to be a conversation that starts to happen about where would we like for them to live? And if after having the discussion, you decide that you want them to live at home, that's, that's perfectly okay. Um, but you would still want them to be working on some independent skills because you're not going to live forever. Right. I know my plan was that I was, um, but also in the ITP, it's where will they work at or, and, and or where will they go to school and what their support system will look like. And the support system can't be just you. That's not a good plan. The support system has to be something that lives beyond the individuals in the um, equation. So this is what the ITP talks about. And the people who are responsible for implementing these three things and working towards the goal is your local school district. I know, right? Who knew? Um, but it is true. Now, they find skinny little ways to do it that aren't very robust. But if you know about the ITP process, then you can sort of say, no, I, I don't think that's robust enough. We really need to take this on. Uh, okay, so that is ITP. I don't want to belabor it because we have a wonderful guest. Let's move on to our question of the day, um, which is, fits right in with all of this and with our guest is how are you preparing for the future? Because uh, the future is coming and we want to live in this moment and we don't want to always be in the future or always be in the past, but it's really good, like that mall on the map, to know here's where we're trying to get to. And again, that isn't written in hard cement. We can always morph and change that. Um, but it is amazing when we get intentional and say, you know, we said by the time my son was 14 that our intention was that he was going to college. Now, if he had said, I really don't want to go to college, I want to go to culinary school, or I want to do X, Y, and Z, we would have dealt with that and we would have been fine. But we said we want him to be prepared to go to college. And that meant that he went to a specific school to be prepared to go to college because there was no way he was ready to go to college. then. But we, you know, we and they got him ready to go to college. What is it that you are doing? I, I said the other day to a parent that when my son was in third grade, I started shopping high schools to see where we would send him because I was doing it before I needed to panic about it. And it wasn't something that I was doing like, I got to have it solved right now. But it was like, oh, I'm just checking things out. And whenever I had a free afternoon, I was like, oh, I'm just going to Google some schools and some programs. I'm going to ask if I can tour because the need wasn't hysterical in that moment. So by the time high school came, I knew exactly, and he knew exactly, he had toured it by that point and was like, yes, I want to go to school there. So what are you doing to prepare for the future before it gets crazy? Um, and write in and tell us, because maybe you'll have an idea of something you're doing for the future. And the future is tomorrow. It's not just the things that are 10 years away. Um, I learned 
in the 10 years that my mom has passed, I've learned more about her process than I did in the whole time that she was alive. I always thought that the holidays just sprang completely formed uh, from my mother's head and that there was no work to it. And in reality, you know, my mother started buying things, you know, things that wouldn't spoil for Thanksgiving dinner in September so that when it came time to make the things in November, she already had all those ingredients, the non, the perishables. Uh, She was constantly preparing for the future and it helped her to regulate so that she wasn't behind in stress, right? So what, you know, write in and tell us something that you're doing today to prepare for the future. And then our topic for today, which is a great topic to be talking about, especially with our guests, we're talking about independence today. How do we make space for our kids, our adult kids, um, but our kids that if they're three, to work towards independence? There's always an opportunity towards independence today, whether it's teaching toilet training or teaching someone how to balance their checkbook right? Independence is always available. And we should never shortchange that when we're talking about people who are on the autism spectrum. I have seen this time and time again. I love, uh, we've had Liz Becker on the show and for years. And when Liz was first on the show, her son, who's pretty affected by autism and considered nonverbal, was in his mid twenties. I think the first time we had her on the show and she said, I'm working towards him being able to live independently. And I remember thinking, man, that's really optimistic, right? And now it's more than 10 years later and he lives independently. He has supports in place, but he's living independently and he's so proud of it. You just can't understate how important it is for everyone that self-esteem to be able to feel independent. So we're talking about that. Okay. Uh, That's our jargon for the day. I'm really late and running behind, but we've got a great guest who's joining us right now. John Miller is the author of the Handum books, and he is an amazing individual. He's going to talk with us about uh, a pretty exciting role that he's been um, doing uh, and, and what that entails, and that he's got some news about his graduation that he's going to be sharing with us. So w- let's welcome John Miller to the show. There you are, John. Thank you for being so patient and waiting. No problem, Shan. How you doing? It's been a while. Oh, I'm not hearing you. Oh, it's just a little bit of a delay, but now I can hear you. It has been a while, and you're, I, the last time I saw you, I feel like you were, were you just finishing high school, or were you still just a high school student? Actually, I, I looked at the video link. It said from May 2019, I was still in Northern Essex, but now okay. I, I just finished this May. And graduated with an associate's degree in early childhood with honors as well. Wow. Congratulations. That's amazing. <clears throat> yeah, it was it was a long journey, but I'm I'm proud I finally ended it. That's amazing. And so uh was that a hard thing to do to because that's that's a hard degree. Early childhood development, that's a hard degree. You probably could have taught the lesson more than I could this morning. Uh, but was it difficult for you or was it pretty like in your lane? It, it, it was very tough. I mean, there were a lot of classes. I mean, I was still kind of like the last time when we were talking, um, I kind of was falling a little behind on schedule from when I was going to graduate. So I just kind of had to pick up the pace. And finally, this year was the one was the year that it happened. And I couldn't believe it. Well, part of that, part of the big part of it was in the middle of the pandemic. And I'm sure that that made things different at the very least, if not more difficult. How, how were you able to manage that? Uh, Because I know a lot of people said that you had to be so much more self-directed during the pandemic um, instead of being there with the teachers. Did you find that difficult or were you good at that? Oh, no, I mean, COVID, it it was a big turn point of the, of the, of our nation. And it really depressed me a lot. Like, you know, it took me away because I was actually at Bright Horizons doing my field placement. And then one day in March, I was in college doing something. Um, I don't know what it was, but all of a sudden, um, everyone was just kicked out because we were here and it was going to hand Massachusetts and it was, it was horrible, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. And it was hard on everybody. And I think everybody was dealing with those feelings of loss and concern. And, you know, when when was it going to ever end? 
but so exciting that, you know, you got to finish your degree. Did you actually get to walk for a graduation, John? Yes. Thank God I, thank God I did. Um, yeah. I mean, I finished the rest of my classes on uh, online. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was, it was, yeah. it was, it was a hot day, but it was, it was a very nice day. Was... Wonderful. Well, I'm sure your mom was burst, busting her buttons because she's so proud of you. Oh yeah, she's my everything. Like she hasn't stopped. Well, you're you're her everything. I'm I'm confident of that. I've heard that from she her. Really has, yeah, yes. Amazing. And so uh, we've had you on before to talk about Handem, and I thought that I might still have one of the books on my bookshelf, but it's so good that it appears that I've either lent it or given it to somebody. But talk a little bit about Handem for people who don't know. We just thought it was great. We gave it one of our uh, toy and gift. Uh, awards. Tell them what Handum is. Do you happen to have one of the books there that you could hold up? Yes, actually, I do. I should have warned you ahead of time. Give me a minute. You saw the first one, right? Yes. Well, I. How, ma- have... how many are there now? Oh, we hit the million mark with the first one, and now we're over 1,200 with the second. So let me show you the second of you know. Oh, and good congratulations on your son and your new book. I'm glad he's doing Thank well. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. What a beautiful no, book. Yeah, this Here is we go. this we kicked it off at Man Orchards in Methuen in March. Yeah. Two months before we talked with you and my mother. this is this is sort of like a prequel to the original book. It's called The Magical Heart of Hampton. I love it. I love it. And you do all of this artwork yourself, correct? Yes. Um, show just show us one of the pieces of artwork inside the book, so people can really appreciate. Well, um, and the premise of Handum, just beautiful. This is another one of everyone's favorite drawings for the second book. This garden, I wanted to give a nice glowiness to it with the yellow. Yeah. Yeah. You're such a very distinctive artist, John. You're very expressive and I love your use of color and the character and the whimsicalness of which you draw the, the hands because the hands um, are there, you know, they have lives and they are like people, I guess. Yes. Um, yep. um, and, and there's a whole, there's the kingdom of handum. Yes. Um, and we learn things from the hands just absolutely. Um, adore your work absolutely amazing how young were you when you started um drawing the hands and working on the book the first book i was definitely 16 years old I was still in my junior at high school on top of that i was doing that and was in cross country <laughs> along with that it was yeah that was a lot when we yeah, finally- I get the sense yeah. that you're somebody who does well when you're busy. Is that true? I mean, I mean, it's hard, but over the years, I've gotten used to it more, and it's it's kind of nice. You know, I never thought this would be a part of my life. You know, I I only remember it so much as a kid, but then when I got older, it just kind of started sinking. But luckily, uh-huh. they remembered. And do you think there's going to be a third book about Handum? There is. It's in the works right now, but. With everything that's been going on since COVID and, uh, of course, some other books and stuff that I'll tell you. Yes. On this chat, me and my mother. Uh, yeah, we just, it's just been a lot. It's just been a busy year for me, you know, it's probably one of the busiest years of my life. Yeah. Well, you do have a lot going on. You have something really exciting to share with us. Tell us about yeah. being a uh, a fellow. And yes. what organization you're a fellow with, because it's impressive. Yes, so I am now currently a Flutie Fellow for the Doug Flutie Junior Foundation for Autism. Of course, it was founded by a former NFL star and um, legend, uh, Doug Flutie, Del Mary Pass. Um, yeah. But a Flutie Fellow, this is a very big deal, John, and this is not, uh, it's very impressive. What did you have to do to apply for and be chosen to be a Flutie Fellow? I mean, one day me and my mother, we were 
we talked to the marketing person. Uh, her name's Elizabeth Monroe. She's nice. Uh, she's young, but uh, basically we were just talking with them to maybe do something to promote the book and, you know, expand it. And, um, but I mean, but they really had a lot they had to say, and they were just saying, how would you like to be a Flutie fellow for the foundation? And we were just like, what? Really? It was just like, I just never thought that I've heard of the foundation over the years, but I never thought I I'm, I'm finally part of it. It's very special. Very amazing. It's quite an honor. And what are your responsibilities as a Flutie fellow? What are, what is it that you need to do as a Flutie fellow? Basically what the Flutie fellows do is they're kind of like ambassadors. They support people with autism and who have been invited to collaborate with the foundation, but they also pursue career opportunities, related life goals, and passions. Also promote respect, inclusion, and opportunities for all people with autism. And of course, like I said, serve as ambassadors for the Flutie Foundation. Well, I I can't imagine anybody better that they could have picked. I think it was very smart of them to pick you because you are um, such a, a a wonderful person, John. And and you. I think anybody would be proud to have you represent their organization. Um, you're thoughtful and considerate, and your handum books really promote inclusion and respect for individuals and their differences. Uh, so I think it was a great choice of the Flutie Foundation. How long do you serve as a fellow? Is it a one-year term? No, they didn't really get into that, but I mean, a funny thing, um, before I was even made a fellow, we were at this event in um, Boston. It was at um, Castle Fair, I think, Boston. Okay. But I met, the Flutie brothers were there performing, and I got to meet Doug Flutie. Wow. I, I met him, yeah. Was that pretty exciting? It, it was, yeah. yeah it's are funny are you somebody who's a football fan? I am a football fan, yes, of course. I, I love the Patriots. No, they're kind of having a little rough start, especially with their quarterback gone. I have to warn you, John, I'm completely football illiterate. I don't I don't know from anything. But I'm a I'm a Flutie fan because the Flutie Foundation has been so helpful and amazing. And you know, Doug Flutie is a part of our, our tribe. He's a dad of a neurodiverse individual. So yeah. I, I gotta love him for that. And I gotta love him for all the amazing things that he's done and for recognizing young people like you who should have a spot, spotlight and giving you a spotlight from, you know, and a, and a microphone from which to share your story and, and to share the hope and inspiration that comes with that. I'm sure that there are people watching and, and are like, oh my goodness, what an intelligent, well-spoken, you know, sweet young man who's so talented and already has two books out um, and that they would love Love it if their child could do that kind of thing. You're an inspiration, truly. Thank you. So, so now you've got you've got your associate's degree. You're a Flutie fellow. What's next, John? Oh yeah, well, and also I forgot to mention this. Um, I co-hosted their annual awards, the Dougie Awards, in April, just before I graduated. Yeah. Amazing. And I actually got to do it with um, an alumni of the CBS TV show. Big Brother, I don't know if you know her, Brittany D'Angelo. Yes. She is a, she also has autism and like me also, she's a big Disney buff myself. Yes. And she, she loved her. We loved her when she was on Big Brother. Um, She. I don't uh, watch the show. One of my friends. You don't? Oh, I, I, we love it. We watch it uh, that way too much in our, in our house. And we love Brittany. Um, And it was interesting to watch her on the show because she made the choice not to disclose until the very end of the show. And and then I was like, Oh, well, that's part of the reason why we loved her so much. Uh, Cause we recognize, but did you enjoy getting to work with her? Yes. She's a live I, wire. Yeah. I mean, She's, I didn't see her in person, but we, 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 what me and you are doing right now, this was on yeah. the computer. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, well, and, 
And, and so do you have more dates like that coming up where there's an opportunity for people to see you do it being doing and being a, a foodie fellow? Um, or those are yet to be revealed. Well, actually I do have, we do have an event that I'm kind of doing another. Um, there was actually an event I did in the summer. It was right before August. Um, they did this uh, hockey cup puzzle cup. It's almost kind of like their own Stanley cup. but not really. Um, and they let me be a captain. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it was a fun day. It was actually the first time I actually got to meet with some of the Flutie fellows. And um, I got to drop a puck and they actually let me keep one. So I can have the Bruins people filling in for me. That's amazing. So how yeah. many Flutie fellows are there right now? Oh, there's quite a lot. Um, I mean, we I'm actually gone in contact with a few more. Even um, I don't know if you've heard of him, but uh, his name's Jonathan Garner. He's also a Flutie fellow, and he's okay. a cancer survivor. Amazing, amazing. Yes. Well, and if I don't know, John, if people wanted to um, get more information about the Flutie fellows and maybe having a Flutie fellow an event that they're at, where do we go? Do we just go to the Doug Flutie organization? Yes, because you're under Flutie Fellows, you'll see my name under with all the others. But we have a 5K that's this Sunday, and Jonathan Garner's going to be running, and he'll also be doing some speaking engagements. And we actually talked to Liz a few weeks ago, I think it was last week, and she, now we're definitely doing it because she said I, I could have a little speaking engagement, you know, announce, you know, do stuff, like, because I love speaking. And I mean, you're good at it. I call this foundation my autism family now because oh, it is. That's wonderful. So, yeah. John, if people want to know more about you and about Handum and about you being a Fluey Fellow, where are you on social media? Do you have a website? Where should we send them to find out more about you? Yes, we do have an Instagram account. I mean, we have it's a Land of Handum, as in our business. Okay. We do have a Facebook. Is it also Land of Handum? Yes. Okay. Wonderful. And and so people can be following what you're doing there in those two places. But if they want to know about where when you're speaking, would that be on those sites or would it be someplace else? Hmm. Probably the same thing. Okay. All right. So you put little announcements on your Instagram when you're going to be speaking? Yes, or do another events because... Now we're starting to do, because we had a lot of events set up the the uh, year COVID hit. And then when it, it did happen, it would kind of took everything in. That was another thing that was depressed because I missed doing what I did with the books. Yeah. I mean, virtual, yeah. It's, it's horrible, you know? It is I horrible. In- I, I think horrible. everybody agrees with you, John. Everybody agrees with you. So, <clears throat> excuse me, you have the, um, the associate's degree now. Do you think you're done with school for a little while? Are you thinking about going in, back and getting a bachelor's or a master's? Or what are you, what are you thinking about? I'm definitely taking a break. I mean, because, I mean, that's like, this is this is my first fall freedom. Because I usually yeah. be working on assignments on the weekends, getting homework done or projects. So it's yeah. kind of nice, you know? It is nice. It's really nice. And you're in the... the uh, northeast so i'm sure are the colors in full form yet for fall yes there's a yeah i can see the i love the dark reds and the oranges i love seeing that uh i miss that because you know i grew up in upstate new york i actually lived in boston as a child and so i miss the fall colors that's got to be really fabulous well i'm glad that you're getting to enjoy some some free time and doing a lot of speaking engagements and I can't wait to see all the wonderful things that you're going to do in your life, John. You truly are an inspiration uh, to all of us. Is there anything that we left out that you wanted to make sure that the audience knew that's going on or did we hit all of our points? No, I mean, I mean, definitely we've still got a few more things. Um, Okay. Tell us, tell us. Well, first of all, I don't know if you noticed, but I do have sort of a, I did have a mustache and I do have a beard now. See? You're, you're doing the facial hair. It looks really good. Looks very yeah. uh, groomed. Yeah. 
kind of look like my my favorite president, right? Because he had <laughs> sort of. But, Am uh, I supposed to guess who your favorite? Pre- you're looking a little Lincoln to me. Is that who your favorite president it, is? There it, we go. Okay, I got it. Lincoln, One. Yes, you're right. Okay. But yes, um, yeah, I'm currently working at the Bethune YMCA branch as an associate. Oh, I didn't know that. So also yes. working on top of all of this. And do you like working there? Yes, I do. Um, do you ever I get mean, to use any of your degree, your early childhood development degree working there? Sort of. I mean, I'm still trying to get my way to becoming a maybe a preschool teacher. Because I, I came here for a reason because I want to show the world that we need more men in this field than women. Because men can do it as well. I uh, agree with that. For a new era. I love that. I love that. Yeah. All right, what else do you have on your list? Yes, and also I do work at Christmas tree shops oh. in Salem. Yeah, two times. Uh, top in Salem? Yes. Oh, see, now that's just, now that's a whole can of worms. I love Salem. Salem is so fun. I can't even imagine what it's like at this time of year. But so there's a, is it a Christmas tree lot or a Christmas tree store? It's a Christmas, it's a Christmas, it's almost kind of like a little bit of everything. And there are models, every store, every reason. So it's open year round? Yes. Wow. Uh, you, I don't know if you know this about me, John, but I love Christmas and I love, uh, Hallmark and, and mm-hmm. that store sounds like it's like a setting for a Hallmark Christmas movie. Uh, <laughs> what's your favorite part about working there? Just trying to, I mean, this was a big thing, but, um, I did not like the register and I'm actually used to it now. And then I mean, that was the biggest thing my mom was fearing. And, yeah. You know, she, and um, she's proud of me because I tried it. It's actually not bad. <laughs> yeah, it's isn't it funny how sometimes something can you know seem like oh it's so devastating and so hard, and then you get doing it and you learn it and it's not it's not all that scary. It's maybe not the funnest thing in the world, but you're totally capable of doing it. So amazing! Congratulations on having whipped that uh, fear and learning that skill that's that's amazing because you know once you know how to run a register you can run a register pretty much anywhere what yes. else is on your list what else have you got to share with us i'm loving this yes um well of course um and also on top of that um i've been having a few medical issues lately i'm okay are you feeling you're feeling better though yes yes i'm um, glad well, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right, yeah, but... I don't know remember. if you know, I I just have been getting over COVID, and boy, it really reminds you that when you... Health is really important. And if you don't have health, you can't do anything else, right? Oh. Oh. So you're learning how to manage all that? Yes. Um, I think you remember when you talked to my mom last, my mother, I was still running and stuff. Yeah. Well, after COVID hit, I just literally stopped it all but then what happened was it shut down my body and um i started having some back problems like i mean they're like they said this poor kid can't even touch he can't bend down to touch toes so we knew it was a problem yeah went to a chiropractor beginning last summer and then by the end of christmas we stopped doing it but and are then, you slowly starting to run again, or it's you're I'm still running? Well? I cannot yeah. run now. Oh, so in June, um, after we went to a rheumatologist, because we were still trying to figure out, we were getting frustrated with, with what was going on, just you know. Yeah. yeah. And they finally found out that I have a Norlock. Um, now what is it called? It's um, it's autoimmune disease. It's called um. Ankylotus spondylitis. Mm. What it is, it's um, an inflammation of the joint to the spine, like back. But But you're finding ways to manage it? Yes. um, I was on one of my medications, and then um, 
And then just at the summer, when I finally get to go away to the beach um, in Maine, which we always do sometimes. Um, but um, I stopped taking everything because just um, beginning of August, after I did my last summer class to get the associates, I had a um, colonoscopy done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On top of that, I had I had three or I had a uh, three ulcers and a hernia. Wow, John. Yes. So that'll create some problems, and you know, and and make you not feel well. Are you uh, so? Are you able to control that now? That part of it. I yes, bet you're eating but, very differently now. Well, actually, you should have heard the worst story. Um, on top of that, I was losing so much weight. On the day of my graduation, I was 133, so I went way down. And you're a tall guy. Yes. Um, yeah. Because they were they were worried, like, what's happening to him? And that's probably because yeah. it was probably due to the stress. Also, yeah. finishing up my last semester. Yeah. It's a lot. lot. Yeah, it was, yeah. And I don't know if you know this, but autoimmune uh, issues are very prevalent in the autism community, both amongst the parents and the individuals who are themselves on the spectrum. It is very prevalent. Um, So I I don't know, uh, as you're talking about this, and I appreciate your candor and, and being so open and talking about your health struggles, uh, I, I would be willing to bet you're going to find that people are going to be reaching out to you and saying, oh, you know, I have this or I have something similar um, because it is very much a part of our community. Um, and I think there's a great deal of research about why that might be. But I know that for for many, it comes down to managing, not getting completely over the symptoms, but managing your symptoms. And for everybody, it feels like it's a sort of different equation. but I got to say, John, you look great. You look healthy. I hope you're feeling healthy. And I hope you're finding your path to finding what the right combination is about sun, no sun, supplements, no supplements, medication, no medication, exercise, no medication. For everybody, it's a different configuration. But it it looks like you're finding it. Yes, um, I did join um, Planet Fitness, but I got to get back there. I've only gone yeah. once. Yeah. But I'm, well, I'm, sure on, that uh, I'm on Humera. I'm doing better. I'm back to like 155. Yeah. But again, I don't want to be a skinny guy with a big belly because yeah. I don't want to be fat. I mean, yeah. I like being fat. It's not fun. Trust me, I know. <laughs> well, John, we're out of time. We've actually gone a little bit late, but we made you wait. So I wanted to make sure that we had enough time to talk to you. You're amazing. You're such an inspiration to so many of us. Uh, again, your Instagram, is it, it's uh, Land of Handum? Yes. Land of Handum. There it is. We've got it on the screen there. Land of Handum. Um, and I hope that people will check out your Handum books and check out, have an opportunity if they can to see you speak as a, a flutie fellow. We're just proud to know you. John, you're doing incredible work, and I can't wait to see what you do next. Yes, big thing is trying to get my permit back because that expired during COVID. I was so close after okay. three years. So you're gonna drive? I it's for this is the last thing for me. This is the last big thing for me. It's freedom. It's all my yeah. friends. Yeah, that's it. I know yeah. you can do it. I know you can do it. Yeah. So be kind to yourself. Let us know when you've got your license. Okay. Yes. All right. Please thank your mom for us um, and give her our love. But uh, thank you so much for being with us today, John. Thank you very so much, Shannon. It was good to be back. All right. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, What an inspirational young man. I wanted us to go a little bit later because we had answered some questions before. But what what an amazing young man. it just fills my heart with so much joy having an opportunity to talk with you. And there are so many individuals uh, like this uh, that you know we, we need to get to know on an individual basis. So uh, hopefully we're going to be bringing you more of those interviews and hopefully you'll get to see more of those people on Stories.
we're going to sign off now. I want to let you guys know that uh, tomorrow we're, we're going to be with you with a new episode of Let's Talk All the Things. We're postponing that till next Wednesday. We're going to play a rerun of that next uh, tomorrow. And there's an episode of Stories from the Spectrum on Friday. I am this weekend in Seattle. And I'm going to be at the WABA conference speaking, and um, I'm looking forward to it. But we'll be back on Monday. We've got a big show for you on Monday. And we, I believe that we've got, like, all live shows next week. So don't, don't give up on me. I'm getting stronger every day. Stick with us. And uh, we'll be back live on Monday. Until then. And I'm, I'm going to try to do some live um, posts from um, Seattle while I'm there, just live little short things. Let's see. I always say I'm going to do that and then I get involved with the people and I don't, but let's see. Oh, Susie, you're going to be at the Taka conference this weekend. Thank you for bringing that up. I don't know if all of the scholarships got snapped up, but if any of you are watching and have not yet, um, you know that there, if you go to the website and, and want to go to the conference, um, you can put in uh, Moira Shannon 2022 and see if there are any scholarships left. But Susie, I, I'm jealous. I had already booked this WABA conference um, when then, then I found out when the TACA conference was. So I, I wish I could be two people and be in two places, but please make sure that you tell us all about what you learned on Monday. And anybody else who wants to still go to that TACA conference, I don't know. I haven't checked in with Moira, but there might still be scholarships left. You should go to the website, tacanow.org. And, um, oh, and, and Susie says if you're a regional center client that they're still reimbursing, that's great. But you could just get the scholarship if they're still there. The code, again, is Moira Shannon 2022 And Moira has said if you can't get it and you really need it to message her, you can see her um, email when you go to the site to register. So go to the Taka Conference. You'll have a good time. All right, you guys, much love to you. And I will see you on the other side on Monday. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one from you. Take care. Bye-bye for now.